If you're a California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast. All right, welcome back, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the California Underground Podcast. Today, I have with me a colleague and friend of mine, June Cutter, who is running for the 76th Assembly District. I have to remember because it's switched, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. We're going to talk about what does an Assembly member really do, which I think is important for people to know as well, um, and as well as her past race and all that stuff. So, June, welcome to the program. Hi, everyone, and thank you, Phil, for inviting me to come on your podcast. I feel so honored to be here. Oh, shucks. You're you're making me blush. Um, (laughs) So let's get started right off the bat. Uh, This is like a pretty recent announcement. Um, Like just a couple weeks, you just kind of decided to hop into the race and and explain what happened with like the 77th and the 76th. They got redrawn and redistricting and does that benefit you does that help your race like talk about that a little bit right so i believe the lines were finalized on december 27th and i announced or officially launched my campaign on january 3rd which was 10 days ago so it hasn't been very long but i did run for assembly last cycle against the same democratic opponent so in some ways it feels like i never stopped and this is a continuation of the 2020 campaign and if there was any part of me who that wished maybe we had more time um now i have 10 more months to go and win this race so is there anything beneficial about the new redistricting that helps you out or or makes it more benefit like like a better race for you Um, in numbers wise Yeah, so the lines in the new 76th district are, um, okay, so rewinding, the district that I ran in last cycle was called 77, but with redistricting, it is now the newly drawn 76th assembly district. And on election day in November 2020, um, the Democrat registration had a 10-point advantage. And now in the newly drawn district, the Democrat registration advantage is only 0.3 and the numbers are a little bit deceptive in that sure there's more registered democrats in that district but republican turnout is much higher so if you look at actual turnout it's a red district and if you look at um registration numbers it's a blue district so it's a definite swing district definitely purple and a top target for the california republican party this year So you had mentioned you had already run against this particular opponent, Brian, I don't know how to say his last name, Maya Maya Shinahan or something like that. Um, But he, it's funny, you mentioned that it's kind of like a purple district. It was a red district. Um, I was actually looking on Ballotopedia, his kind of history. He was a Republican up until 2018. And then he switched. And now he's a Democrat and his whole thing was, um, I just don't like Donald Trump. I don't like where he's taking the Republican Party. And I've also changed as well. So he was Republican for all these years when the district was probably a little bit redder. But as soon as this maybe started to get a little bit more purple, he turned into a Democrat. Right. So that's kind of like the whole backstory of why I ended up 
running against him last cycle. So long-term Republican, he was a city councilman, he ran for city attorney, and he um, was a state assembly member for about eight years at the time. And he had been a Republican the whole time. He was a Republican hometown kid from Poway and had been running as a Republican in one office or another for two decades. And then in 2018, in November, he got reelected to the state assembly as a Republican and had run as a Republican, made no, like, absolute, nobody knew that he was going to switch parties. And we elected him. And 42 days later, 42 days after the voters of his district elected him as a Republican, he switched parties. So a lot of people feel like he should have done that before election day, but mm-hmm. um, it is what it is. And he had a million dollars that he had in his coffers that he raised as a Republican. He switched, flipped, and um, became a Democrat and contributed some of that money over to the San Diego Democrat Party. And it left people very upset, including myself. And I thought that somebody needed to go and run against him. And ultimately, the discussion turned to, well, why don't you do it? And for some crazy reason, I was like, okay, I'll do it. I'll go and run against him and um, give him a run for his money and take him out. But um, 2020 wasn't the best year for San Diego Republicans, as you know. But I fared pretty decent, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, all things considered. And now the tides have turned and it's 2022. And I think the time has come for us to win this race. So going back to your previous race against Brian, looking back now that you're starting a new race, is there a lot of lessons you took from that last race? Is there stuff you've learned? Are there maybe some mistakes or anything that you're not going to try and do this time? Like, what's the learning process for people out there who are interested in running for office that sometimes it does take like a race or two to get it accomplished? Like there's plenty of good politicians i know who lost their first race won their second race after they got their name out there so are there a lot any lessons you're taking from your last race into this race so when you say that they got their name out there i think that's one of the most important things it was really an uphill battle to challenge somebody in their hometown um while they've been on the ballot for 20 years and the name id like i just felt like it was a really big um, obstacle to overcome. So this time around, I'm very thankful to have built Name ID in the district, in the community, um, and just been such a vocal advocate, especially as a mom of school-aged kids over the last several years, that um, I think that gives us an automatic advantage over where we started in the 2020 cycle. So that coupled with a few things that I've learned, um, I think that we definitely focused on a lot of things that were more traditional campaigning um, the first time around. And as a first time candidate, you are, I guess, bombarded with everyone's opinions and everyone who's been around a lot longer than you wants to tell you how to do it. And I feel like having been in politics for several years now and having not only 
worked on my campaign, but other um, candidates' campaigns over the last year as well. I have a better sense of what I feel like in my gut um, is the right thing to do. And I think that after the pandemic and seeing how 2020 went and seeing how people are kind of living their lives now in more of a digital age, I have a better understanding of where we all um, as candidates need to pivot and adapt with the times and how we reach voters isn't the same as it was four, five, 10 years ago. Yeah. A side note. You know, I was looking before we hopped on here at one of the bills that Brian had voted on. There's a bill that they had voted on to for California, the state of California, not Congress or anything, to investigate the January 6th events. <laughs> so that if that gives you an idea of what Brian is doing with his important time, those are the votes he's casting. Is somehow California should be looking into what happened in January 6th. Very important. Uh, spending of resources and time of our legislatures. So speaking of how Brian is wasting his time as a legislator, as a legislator, can you explain a little bit about what an assembly person does in this, the state legislature of California? I know that sounds like a basic question to you, but people who are listening may not even really realize who their assembly person is or what their assembly person does. Right. So the state legislature is like the forgotten stepchild of politics. Nobody ever pays attention to their state legislative races, but it is actually one of the most important races for voters to pay attention to and pay attention to the candidate that they're electing to this seat. Because I think what the pandemic has taught us is about how there's decisions at the state level and at the local level, which impact your life much greater than some of the decisions that are made at the federal level. So I think the easy way to explain it is just as the federal government has the House and the Senate and they um, propose bills and those bills get passed and become law and um, we can all tune into Schoolhouse Rock and see the bill getting passed and how that works. Each state has, as its own government, has, um, like the governor is to the president as the state legislature is to our federal legislature, the legislative branch of our government. So in California, we have an upper house and a lower house, just like we do in Washington, D.C. Our upper house is the state senate and our lower house is the state assembly. In a lot of other states, it's called the state house or the lower house. But here in California, we call it the assembly. It's comprised of 80 members from um, 80 districts. Now with redistricting, everything is supposed to be evenly divided by population and communities of interest. But um, those 80 members go to Sacramento and they create bills. They propose laws and vote on them. And ultimately those bills that they write and pass become the law of the land and trickle down to all of us as individual citizens or residents living in California. The upper house of the state Senate has 40 members. So we have a total of 120 state legislators in California making our laws. And just like the bills get passed between um, the House and the Senate on the federal level, the bills get passed between the House and the Senate at the um, state level as well. It's important for people to realize that when they complain about California, and I talk, I probably talk about this ad nauseum, but I think it's important to talk about 
when they they hear these crazy bills that happen and all this stuff that happens in California, whether it's uh, criminal justice in terms of raising a misdemeanor to nine hundred dollars, uh, you won't get prosecuted for, or anything to do with any sort of sexual crimes or stuff like that. People are always like, oh, you know, why is California so crazy? Well, it's the assembly and it's the the dominance of one party. It's one party rule right now. The Democrats have what is called a supermajority in both houses. Um, and that's really where a lot of this craziness stems from. So that's why it's important to get people like you into the state assembly and kind of chip away at that Democratic supermajority, right? Right. That is exactly on point. So in the state Senate, we have nine out of 40 members that are Republican. And in the state assembly, we have 19 out of 80 that are Republican. So it's like a super mega majority um, as it currently stands. But I have great hope that within a cycle or two, we can break that super majority um, as long as we have good candidates who appeal to their communities and are able to um, message the counterpoints to the horrendous policies we see coming out of Sacramento that really might fill a progressive agenda, but don't suit the needs of everyday Californians. That's a perfect segue into your platform specifically and how you plan on kind of getting that platform out to the voters and getting that message out to the voters. And we've talked, uh, we've gone back and forth about this, about messaging to voters. Uh, we can sort of get to messaging and all that after, but you know, what's your platform? What are your main tenants? If you had to say like your pillars of your campaign that you want to get out to the voters. I think that the overarching message of my campaign is that the vast majority of Californians can agree on a whole bunch of things that we need to fix here in this state and that we need to prioritize. My priorities are a prosperous economy for all Californians, safe neighborhoods for all Californians, and exceptional education for all California children. I think that's something that we can all get behind. Partisan politics aside, whether you're a Republican or you're a Democrat, you want your family to prosper, you want your neighborhood to be safe, and you want your kids to have great schools. So why don't we all just get on board and make that happen without arguing about partisan politics? And I think that this is, you know, there's proof in the pudding because on election day, there was 28 percent registered Republicans in this district in November of 2020. And I received 44.22 percent of the vote. That means that we have the message that appeals to a greater and broader base than just registered Republicans. And I think there's a lot of people who would agree that 60% of Californians can kind of live in the middle and understand that there are priorities that aren't partisan politics. Sure, there's people on both ends of that 60% spectrum that might not agree and party politics is more important to them than coming to the table and agreeing. But by and large, Californians want to go about their lives and want to share those common interests and pursue those goals collectively together as a team for their communities. It, something you brought up to me is this idea of like 
winning by addition that's what you're talking about is especially when it comes to republicans you could get a hundred percent of a republican vote but it's not going to win you a lot of races in california so you do have to do this kind of like winning by addition you have to bring a lot of people into your tent um and you kind of mentioned these these kind of kitchen table politics that are i mean they're appealable to all californians whether you're left right middle Everybody wants a safe neighborhood. Everybody wants to send their kids to a good school. Everybody wants to live in an economy where they can make more money and they can buy a house and stuff like that. Right. Um, do you feel like that 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 message is does it does it get beaten down by the other side because of values and the way they portray it better than Republicans? Do you think Republicans are just bad about talking about? how these are, are values that pretty much all Californians can share. But for some reason, Republicans don't seem to talk about that as much. Well, first, I have to give credit where credit is due, because winning by addition is something that Kevin Faulkner says a lot. And um, I definitely agree with him that that is the way we need to do it. And that's the way we win races as Republicans in California is by addition, because we're throughout the state. I think we're like 25 ish percent of the voters, registered voters. So you, like you said, if we want a hundred percent of Republicans only, we would still only have like 25% of the vote. That doesn't do us much good. I think, um, that whole concept is not just um, beaten down by the Democrats, but it's beaten down by a lot of Republicans too. A lot of, um, conservatives would rather be right than win. And I think that's becomes problematic. So oftentimes we are so focused on being right that we want to bring forth the candidate that 100% agrees with us. But we as all individual human beings, it's very hard to find people that 100% agree with us. So I think we need to step away on the right side of the aisle from demanding that our candidates be 100% with us and then lose every race. We need to be able mm -hmm. to have compromise both from the left and from the right. And we need to be comfortable with a candidate who agrees with us on 80, 90% of the issues and can win the race. Because wouldn't you rather have 80 to 90% of something than 0% of nothing? Because if we don't change our mentality on how we win races in California and become a bigger tent Republican party, it becomes strategically impossible to gain seats and we'll keep mm -hmm. that supermajority in Sacramento rather than break it. Yeah. And that's something I always say on a lot of my lives is, you know, a lot of people will message me and, and say stuff like, oh, you know, California really went red for Trump in 2020. And I'm like, no, it didn't go red for Trump. <laughs> and, and you know, Gavin Newsom didn't rig the election to win the recall. The numbers are there. The numbers are simply there. Democrats have the uh, the numbers advantage. But if you said to somebody who is on the right side of the aisle, you know, if instead of a deep blue state in five years, five to seven years, would you take a purple state in California, kind of like a Colorado or even in Arizona, which is becoming kind of purple? Would you take that state in five to seven years and maybe not leave this state and stay here? And a lot of people I talk to say, yeah, 
I would I would stay in a purple state that's competitive more than just worrying about we have to flip it every four years or every two years. We think there's going to be this Hail Mary and California is going to just magically flip right overnight. Right. I mean, I think we just have to get over that all or nothing approach. And I think what the left has done a lot better than the right is play the long game. And, mm -hmm. you know, some people will wake up and think, oh, how did we get here overnight? California turned blue. No, it didn't. They worked hard to make this state a blue state. And if you think that you're just going to flip a switch and in one election cycle, turn this state back to red, that's an unreasonable expectation. We have to be put willing to play the long game and put in the hard work and make the compromises necessary to become purple because you're never going to go from blue to red. You might go mm. from purple to red. I don't know if that's necessarily a something that can happen here in California, but I'm very hopeful that we can become a purple state if we're willing to do the work and message our message correctly and really tap into the 60% of Californians who all agree on the common um, goals of prosperity, safety, and exceptional education. Yeah, a good colleague of ours, um, Tamika Hamilton, before I really start to get to know her, she sent me a, a PDF from years and years, I think it's almost over 10 years ago, someone had written a memo to the California GOP that said, look, this is the way the state's going demographically. We're, we're you know, the Latino population's increasing, the Asian American uh, population is increasing. And we need to get on board with getting our message into these communities. Otherwise, we're going to become a fringe party. And it's it's it was almost like it was a crystal ball because that's what's happening now. And to, to your point, the Democrats had really been working on this year after year after year. Now, Republicans are trying to claw back a lot of that um, in those different communities, whether it's Latino or Asian American to say, okay, we have to get our message back out there because we weren't thinking about the long game. We weren't thinking like, how do we get our message into these communities for the next 10 years, 10, 15 years? And how do we keep bringing in more voters to our party? Right. And I think um, particularly with um, voters who are first generation immigrants versus their children and grandchildren, second and third generation. I feel like as we move further and further away from the immigrant experience in those groups, that um, the voting bloc tends to become more and more um, democratic and not Republican. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also part of the long game where we've kind of dropped the ball on messaging to each generation that comes further and further away from the immigrant experience. So that's part of the long game too. And another thing that the Democrats have done better is appealing to people's emotions and feelings because we as um, conservatives and Republicans, we want to logically think it out. We want mm -hmm. you to understand the logic behind our agreements, our, our arguments and why we're right and we want you to agree with us. Mm -hmm. We don't appeal to emotion and feeling in our messaging because I do think that we have the right message. 
we're just not messaging in a way that really resonates with voters in the way that the Democrats do. Because when you are um, feeling something rather than thinking something, it becomes much more powerful. And that's the kind of messaging that we need to invoke as Republicans. Yeah, and I, I talked a little bit about this yesterday on the live when I was reviewing the book, Don't Think of an Elephant, um, that it's it's a funny name, but it's it's an interesting book because it's from a progressive slant. Um, and every argument he makes is based in this sort of emotional response of like, and, and I think you're seeing that play out in the modern left right now where they say, every argument they have seems to be based in some sort of like self-imposed moral superiority of if you want to, I mean, the most basic and prevalent argument is anything to do with COVID. If you want to question anything about COVID, the first argument people make, I guess you want people to die. I guess you don't like people being alive. You want to go kill grandma. Well, no. I, and then a lot of times people on the right get sort of stuck in this. Well, I want to logically, argue with you about it but people on the left don't hear that they just hear emotion um and i guess that comes back to this idea of like making your message and basing it on values not just logic like we could sit here and logically say californians are taxed too much and here's our reasoning why but the message should be something like when you're taxed too much you reduce the ability of Californians to have the freedom to live their best life. And that's a value, a value of I'm being, my freedom is being robbed by being here in California, being taxed so much. So I guess that's a better way. And that's just off the top of my head of like thinking about how we have to kind of couch our messaging a little bit better, if that makes right. sense. I absolutely think that um, Republicans both as um, community members, candidates, and the party can message our values much better than we have in the past. And I think we really need to focus on appealing to voters by having relatable candidates and relatable messaging. So mm. we want to make sure that we are being genuine to what we believe and genuine to what we are promising our communities, but we can say it in a way that is relatable to voters who aren't just Republicans, but independents and Democrats as well, especially at a time like this, when the left mm -hmm. keeps pushing so far left that a lot of moderate Democrats feel like they have no real political home. Yeah. Um I constantly see Biden's dropping approval rates. I mean, he's the head of the party, if that's what you want to call him right now. His dropping approval rates, 53% uh, of independents in California think the country's on the wrong track. I see this as opportunity that there's a lot of frustrated voters out there. But getting back to how does this messaging get started, I'm assuming... I. It gets started, I think, at the grassroots level. And this is where I'm going to kind of lead into like maybe a group like the Calipublican caucus where it's going to have to be grassroots and it's going to have to be people at the local level 
stepping up and saying, this is what I want from my party. And this is what the platform I sort of want to see. Right. So the thing about grassroots up until this point has been um, grassroots has been somewhat polarized, right? You're either really far on the left or you're really far on the right and you're an activist and you come out and um, you demand action that's either very progressive or very conservative. We don't really have a lot of grassroots in the middle of the road. And mm -hmm. I think that we're starting to, we're starting to have a lot of people wake up and wonder how they're going to make a difference in the community. And we have to make sure that we have something in place that gives people a platform or a place to go to become a grassroots um, activist or a grassroots supporter of the platform that you're mentioning, the Calipublican platform, the Calipublican caucus. Um created by Phil from California Underground. Um, but I truly believe that if we can create a place or a platform like that, that the vast majority of California voters can relate to it. And it doesn't have to be so polarized or so polarizing to become a grassroots person. Yeah, I, I think it's got to start. And a lot of times it can't just be the leadership. You can't wait around for your party to do it on their own. You kind of have to just jump in and do it. And Democrats have been doing a lot better at it. Um, switching gears a little bit. Day one, June Cutter is sworn in as the newest assembly woman of 76th district. What's the first thing you're doing on day one? Day one, I am ensuring that our schools are open full time for in-person instruction with adequate resources for both health and safety and the socio-emotional well-being of our kids who have been without normal school for far too long. Good answer. <laughs> um, if people want to get involved in your campaign to volunteer, what's the best way to contact you or get involved? Yes. So if you go on my website, junecutter.com, on the very first page on the homepage, you'll find a volunteer button and a subscribe button. So if you're ready to put on your volunteer hat and knock on some doors, make some calls, send some texts, host a meet and greet, click the volunteer button. If you want more information about the campaign, click the subscribe button and we'll be letting you know all our campaign updates. Awesome. Um... Well, I, I, I didn't want to take up too much of your time. I know you're very busy. You've got a lot of media appearances. Uh, <laughs> you're also a mother and a wife and you have a family. So I don't want to take too much time away from that as well. And, and knowing that the campaign can be hard on them as well. Um, so thanks for coming on. Uh, any other final words you'd like to get in before we sign off for this one? Um. No, uh, if you're interested in running for office, if you want to learn more about it, I encourage you to do your homework. Um, the California Republican Party has great online training resources available to you on their website and also start joining organizations. Um, I'll do a quick plug for the California Women's Leadership Association. We're a 501c4 nonpartisan nonprofit that launches 
female leaders on the center right into positions of leadership in government and in your community. So there's plenty of places you can start to become um, more involved in the process and learn more about the process. And another great place is to listen to California Underground and all of his fabulous content. Always making me blush. Um, well, June, I'm sure we'll see each other around. We've got events coming up. I'm sure we'll run into each other. Um, best of luck out on the campaign trail, and we'll chat soon, all right? All right. Talk to you later. Thank you for listening to another episode of California Underground. If you like what you heard, remember to subscribe, like, and review it. And follow California Underground on social media for updates as to when new episodes are available. 